Hello and welcome to another edition of Cheers PA Beer Talk. I am your host, Mike Lintel, and today we have a very special switch up and we're actually going to be talking about cider given that it is october currently it's national apple month and we sit in one of the most beautiful apple growing regions in the state of pennsylvania here in adams county and it wouldn't be right to not highlight at least one of our great cider producers within the commonwealth and for that i welcome in our guest today ben wank from plowman cider very grateful to have some time with you today, sir. Thanks for joining the show. Awesome. No, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So the first thing we ask everyone in kind of a, a standard question for us is, what is the beer that really got you into craft beer or wanting to get into making your own beer for you? Maybe it was cider. And if you want to go the cider route, I, you know, it's really just like, what was that beverage that captured your imagination that really pulled you towards this industry and wanting to be a part of it? Sure. Well, I can I can remember it pretty vividly. Um, I was attending a farmer's market with my dad in Philadelphia. The two of us were were running the stand that day and we had a pretty decent day and we decided to go uh, to the, the pub next door and celebrate our our uh, success at market, we'll say. And um, at the time I was, you know, just out of college discovering craft beer and my first instinct was to find whatever tap handle I didn't recognize and order whatever they were pouring out of that tap. And when I saw a tap called Strongbow, I didn't even know it was cider. I just knew I hadn't had it before. And so I ordered it up and it came out and there was no head. And I, I tried, I'm like, man, this is cider. <laughs> this is pretty good. You know, uh, at that point, uh, th that was, uh, uh, not the first cider I'd had, but it was the first one that kind of had, uh, the balance and complexity that that um, kind of, it was that was my entry point into into craft cider and kind of from there I was uh, you know going down to places like Max's Tap House and Fells Point and finding some some more unique uh, ciders from around the world from there but uh, the original Strongbow on draft at uh, the former Dark Horse Pub there on Second Street in Philadelphia that was uh, my entry point into cider and started making it that fall. Um, uh, just as a hobbyist and kind of took over from there. So you mentioned being at a market with your dad, you are seventh generation family farm. That's been doing essentially the same thing on the same land for six generations previous to you. How do you convince that family that maybe there's something that they're not doing with their apples that would be a better thing for the business and for the future of the business? And how do you convince them that maybe they missed something in the first six generations and that the new generations got something to offer? How does that go? Sure. Well, you know, I think the the best way to answer that question is, is it started really with the farmer's markets. When I came back from college, I kind of started uh, the retail side of things at, at Plowman, at, excuse me, at Three Springs Fruit Farm, which is our family's orchard here in, in Aspers, Pennsylvania, and, and the uh, northern part of Adams County. So, you know, we got that thing started in 2007, which was the same year I had that strong bow, the first year market. And, um, you know, I, I think the my ability to convince my father and uncle, who are our farm owners and managers with me here at the farm, uh, the first step in convincing the do cider was I had shown at least, um, you know, some good returns to the farm in pursuing that retail farmer's market idea. Mm -hmm. Um, I was able to execute that without 
creating too much problems for them, I'll say, <laughs> and allowing them to continue to do the things that they were already doing well. You know, I'm, I came back to the farm and I wanted to add value, uh, you know, with my experience, with my education and, and find uh, new opportunities for the farm. So it started with the farmer's market. And, you know, shortly after that, you know, we saw other area farms getting interested, getting involved in it. Uh, you know, folks like Jack, certainly Big Hill as well. Um, folks like Freycons uh, out in Boyertown, you know, folks that I already kind of knew about were, were getting interested as well. And the final step was, you know, I put a, a full business plan together uh, with a budget, uh, talked to our, our, you know, kind of uh, financing folks uh, and really kind of pitched it to my father and uncle the same as if I was pitching it to any other in, in investors or something like mm. we're, we're still completely owned by the farm. We're still hundred percent family owned, but um, in order for me to show them that I had taken it seriously, I went through, you know, the full presentation, like, you know, here's what I think we need to get started. Here's, you know, how I think we can, you know, be successful the, the connections we have, you know, the, the full business plan, the, the justification for the new sure. enterprise. And, and yeah, uh, I was able to convince them and we ordered up some cider variety trees and, and uh, started making all the, uh, the uh, applications and all the licensing and all that stuff happened shortly after. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the trees because that is something that I've always appreciated about you. The thing that really got me into cider at Big Hill was the agricultural component of it. And when you started, it sounds like you needed some fruit that wasn't already being grown. Like I'm sure some of the apples you had there were good for making cider, but to really make the cider that you had envisioned, this was a long vision that you have because when you're growing apples, you're not just planting something in that fall, you're reaping a harvest. I mean, can you give a little bit of a timeline in terms of like you put a fresh stick in the ground, when are you gonna pull fruit that's actually gonna be worth making into cider? On an estimate even. Sure. So, you know, uh, even with today's dwarfing rootstock, dwarfing rootstock technology, which is a whole nother conversation. We don't have time for that, Ben. Don't do go into the dwarf time. rootstock. I, okay. I right. appreciate it. And I will, we can do that later. We'll talk about the dwarves later, but the dwarfing rootstock yeah. is too much for what we have in this time today. Uh, understood. Uh, albeit <laughs> to say that, you know, uh, the turnaround time is much faster now than it would have been in my grandfather's generation. Mm -hmm. So we can we can bring we can plant a tree in the ground and start bringing, you know, significant harvest of that fruit, you know, in maybe a four to five year time frame when that used to be more like an eight, 10, 12 year time frame. Um, but, you know, even still that that's a process that's that's why, you know, the moment that we decided to make this move and start making cider, we knew we had to act quickly to get the right fruit trees ordered, planted in the ground and, you know, just just to harken back to my previous answer just a little bit, I had already made that business plan by the time I saw uh, Steve Wood talk on the PBS documentary of Botany of Desire. Mm. And I think the first thing he said on camera was, is that, uh, you know, hard cider or alcoholic cider is not a value added product. And I literally just got done with my business plan. Like, and I had written up that, you know, it, that it was, and he went to, ex went on to explain that, you know, if you're going to make, uh, proper cider requires uh, cider-specific apple varieties, and that by the time you're planting those, there's no secondary use for those apples, and they can't be evaluated. It can't be evaluated product if there's no other way to use those fruit. And like, 
I'm like, you so know what? Technically, <laughs> technically, he was right. But in my opinion, yes, yeah, his yeah. outlook on cider and what like the growth of cider and like young cider makers is doesn't necessarily jive with kind of where your energy was at at that time. I mean, he's been making cider for a long time in a very specific way with fruit trees that have had the time to develop the flavors and the the character that you need for truly original you know, cider where you're just at the beginning of that journey, but you're doing it with an infrastructure that can support like really going for it because you have that farm business there and that can help support and also open up avenues for you to just kind of get your name out there. So it's a softer landing spot than someone that I'm sure he was speaking to of, Hey, if you're going to go full bore on this, you're, it's a bad idea, but you had some measures in place that really gave you an opportunity to go for this dream. And so you're now seeing that fruit, right? Because the time has yeah. passed where you're starting to really get into some of those early plantings. How have you seen the returns so far and what are you liking so coming out of the orchard right now? Sure. And yeah, and and you know, Steve Wood's words in a lot of ways they 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 changed my way of thinking, but we still make a lot of cider with with, you know, varieties that have multiple uses. But um but what we are enjoying as we're seeing some of those early trees start to bear fruit and start to make cider from them. Um, certainly one of our favorites and one that, that we planted a fair amount of is Dabinet. And that's a, a variety that, you know, originated in England um, and, you know, has grown here in the United States by uh, quite a few cider making orchards uh, here in the East coast. And, you know, it just has this, this kind of rich complexity and a little bit of uh, it's uh, it's a bittersweet, so it's got a little bit of uh, tannins uh, in addition to the sugars, and and we find it a great apple to blend with. So that's been an early winner so far. Uh, Stoke Red, which uh, I know that Big Hill Cider just released their Stoke Red single varietal. I, I've yet to try it. I got to get out there and check that out. That's a variety we like a good bit as well. Uh, Ashmead's Kernel. Sopa Spitzenberg, Wixen, these are all mm -hmm. varieties that, that we really, really are enjoy making cider with. So, um, yeah, yeah, there's, we, we, we're discovering some really interesting fruit that grow well in our climate that, that produce some, some really nice juice. And we're, we're encouraged by what we've seen so far and we're excited about, you know, as these trees mature and we're able to harvest more fruit, uh, the kinds of products we can make going forward is really exciting. So I find uh, you mentioned the the climate and I just I don't think there's a better place, in my opinion, to grow apples and like the quality and the explosiveness of the flavors that come out of that fruit on a good year, even on you know tough years where there's a lot of rain, you're still carrying a pretty decent apple. Like I think back a couple of years ago where it was just an absolute washout and the flavors and the sugars, everything was way down, but you still had a decent apple that, you know, you could you would think of at a cafeteria as a small child at your school being like, this tastes like an apple. But when you taste a really great apple from this area, it is explosive in the flavor. And it has to be the terroir, right? Like it has to be the South Mountain and the geography and geology and the meteorology and all the ologies lining up to be the <laughs> perfect place, right? Like, can you explain just like how perfect of a place to grow apples like this little area of Adams County in Pennsylvania is? Yeah, absolutely. Our, our, our South Mountain region here is blessed with, with really, uh, first of all, great soils. You know, we have deep, well-drained soils. 
which is really important for uh, perennial crops and specifically apples as well. They're, you know, they're a very deep rooted plant and, um, you know, having those deep well-drained soils is, is really, uh, you know, a, a top requirement for growing, growing tree fruit well. Um, certainly another aspect that we really benefit from is uh, the air drainage. All these beautiful rolling hills that not only provide such a beautiful landscape, for those of us who are fortunate enough to live and work where we do, um, all those hillsides help, uh, you know, divert the coldest of air during spring blossom time when, when our entire crop is vulnerable to, to cold weather. Uh, you know, all that coldest of, of air is going to, is going to kind of drift down and sink down in the lowest low-lying areas. And as a result, you know, when we plant those hillsides in, in, in our region, um, I'll never go so far as to say that we're frost free, but we have a, a reputation going back 100 years now as being one of the areas in the East Coast for apples that is the, the most, um, uh, the least susceptible to, to frost damage. Um, so that has a big part, part to play as well. And, and certainly the, the South Mountain can protect us in a lot of cases from severe weather events. Um, you know, there's plenty of times where we can see those thunderheads coming right for the mountain and they just kind of disperse a little bit. Um, there, there's just, and, and, you know, it's the people in the infrastructure too, because we've had uh, an apple industry for, for so long here, you know, we're very fortunate that, you know, if we, uh, you know, run over a, a ladder in the orchard or something, and we're short a ladder or two, we can, you know, there's places we can go and drive and pick these things up. Whereas other areas, in the East Coast, that you know, they might have to put a, a put in an order and wait for them to show up on a on a parcel truck or something. Mm. Um, you know, that infrastructure is is really pivotal, and and having you know all the all the knowledge going back to generations of, of folks who have been there and seen it and done it before. Uh, you know, all these things just kind of come together to make a really ideal place uh, to to grow tree fruit and high quality tree fruit, and certainly the sunshine and, and the heat and the unique quality of our climate play a big role in that as well. It's going to be you know, warmer than northern climates, but still hardy enough that, that we're able to get the, the, the proper, um, you know, dormancy and all those things. It doesn't affect the, the varieties that grow here well as it might in other, other climates. So that's well, as short as I can make that. <laughs> no, and, and that's beautiful. You know, and that kind of leads in perfectly to my question of, you know, what's it like being a young farmer and looking out on just the climate crisis that our world finds itself in and knowing that you make your living and your family for generations has made their living off of this land? I mean, it sounds like you have some uh, safety measures and feeling by where you're at specifically when it comes to climate change, but just like at some point too much is too much. And like, how do you see your role as being this young farmer in this state that has such a strong agricultural uh, leaning and has this great history of agriculture? Like, where do you see your generation and people like you making their stand when it comes to the climate crisis that we're in? Sure. Well, I mean, the first thing I'll say about that is I'm very grateful to have a farm and we're a, we're a fairly diversified farm in terms of the things that we grow, especially when it comes to the things we take to farmers markets. But as a farm that's still predominantly apples at, you know, something like 60% of our acreage, um, the fact that we're growing apples is 
I'm very grateful for it because apples are, are pretty resilient when mm-hmm. it comes right down to it and very adaptable. And that's one of the things I love about them. Um, but in terms of like some of the things that I'm kind of, you know, concerned about or, or working through, I mean, very famously, my, my grandfather, you know, lived here and farmed here his whole life and he never saw hail on his farm. As a matter of fact, the, the one time it did hail when he was alive, my, my dad was here covering for him when he was on a trip to visit family. And my dad says he feels like he, it was all his fault. It was this whole <laughs> thing. But, you know, for, for you know, my, my grandfather lived here and farm here for as long as he did without hail. And then having, you know, hail be a, I mean, what do you think, Mike? Perennial, guess. monthly, like it's, it's, it is like more likely than not every growing season that you will have yep. see hail at least once a month. I it, like in that window of what what do you call it? June through August, now even maybe possibly September, but like that two and a half month span, you're seeing hail quite frequently, yeah. at least some part of the county. Not everywhere fully full blankets, but yeah, it's pretty common. And that's why it blew my mind when you said that your grandfather had farmed and never seen hail. Where to me, I've been here six years and it's something that I'm very familiar with and your, your, your heart sinks every time you hear that somebody got hit and it's just, it's just part of farming now. And it's yeah. wild. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a constant, it's a constant thought um, during that time of year. And, you know, and, and this is, this is, I think in my opinion, uh, you know, the role that cider can play uh, in, in orchards here in the South mountain region and more broadly in, in a, a wider region of the United States. Um, because, you know, when, when all of a sudden you're changing the goalpost, right? Like, like when our farm used to be predominantly, uh, processing and then later for fresh market, you know, there's, there's some incredibly high standards that those fruit have to live up to from a, you know, really aesthetic you know, type of, mm-hmm. type of analysis, right? Um, Grocery and, shoppers don't want ugly fruit. They just, they, it's, no, we're, it's, it's we're, they, yeah, they got to uh, look like they're coming out of a cookie yeah. cutter. They, they've got to be blemish free. They've got to be highly colored. Um, and, you know, we're able to grow that kind of fruit in Adams County. And it's, it's, it's why this, this region continues to, to, to thrive and, and have an agricultural economy around apples. But, you know, looking into a future that's more uncertain with, with, you know, kind of more severe weather events like the ones we're talking about, you know, cider is a product that no one ever has to see if those of those apples going through our press have a couple hail marks on them, you know, you'll never taste that in the finished product. And, you know, that, you know, building our business in a way that, you know, makes more cider is, is to me kind of a little bit of insurance policy against extreme weather events. Um, that's certainly a big part of, of, you know, the way I think about the future of our operation here. And, you know, the second part along with that is, you know, as the climate continues to change, you know, what varieties are going to grow better in the future than what, you know, more so than other ones, you know, we're going through some really, high volume tests of, of apple varieties in our test block right now, grafting a lot of new things ourselves, varieties that were, you know, traditional cider making varieties down in, in Virginia and south of us, uh, you know, other parts of the world, 
uh, different apples that I think might do really well at farmer's market. You know, we're, we've been doing a lot of bench grafting in our, in our winter times so that we can uh, really put these, these new cultivars out into the field and see what they actually look like in our climate and see what the future might be for unique apple varieties in, uh, in our Adams County, South Mountain region, just and using actual field trials, not just what somebody told you about it. So those are well, the two if, ways I'm thinking about it. Well, and if some if a tree is going to survive and you planted it this year, going through the cicada blossom that we saw and just like <laughs> the stress event on the local trees that that was, I mean, anything that comes through this, to plant them all. Like that's the, right. that's the future right there. Indestructible. It's like the Twinkie of trees. <laughs> yep, exactly. Nothing, nah. nothing will be left but uh, cockroaches, Twinkies, and apple trees, right? <laughs> Only certain ones that you will be the one that knows about. So yeah. you also, in your spare time that you have, obviously, are the president. you still the president of the Pennsylvania Cider Guild? Yes, absolutely. So what is the importance, in your opinion, of having a guild around building this industry up? Because from what it sounds like, it's pretty young in Pennsylvania in terms of like cider makers on a scale of more than 10 across the state. And it's something that's growing in popularity, but how does one manage that? And where do you see just like the importance of Pennsylvania when it comes to this emerging cider culture and tradition? Sure. Well, I mean, you know, just right off the bat, just like any young industry anywhere, uh, you know, our resources are few and our needs are great. You know, that's, that's, that's the nature of being new at anything. And that's certainly the case with our Pennsylvania cider industry. Um, and the only way we can, we can make anything happen with, with those circumstances, if we're all pulling the rope in the, in the same direction. And so, you know, I've just been so very just thrilled to see so many producers from, from all over our Commonwealth here come together and volunteer their time. We actually have a meeting today at four, at five o'clock um, with some pressing uh, business on the agenda. And, and, and just the, you know, the people's willingness to, to, to combine, to, to volunteer their time. I mean, everyone's, everyone who works in our industry is busy. Uh, many of them working several jobs in addition to their cider making to make yeah. sure that that you know they're able to do what they love and, and make great products and and they're you know whether it's legislative concerns or, or educational uh, opportunities engaging with the public educating them educating buyers um, you know we're just working with other industries uh, around around the state it's um, you know it it takes a lot of volunteer time a lot of volunteer effort and. Again, I'm just I'm so grateful for the the folks we have on the board and the volunteers and the other people that are active in the guild. It's, um, yeah, it's 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 really encouraging to see and 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 we've been very grateful to be growing even through the pandemic. Our our membership numbers are up. Um, it's it's a, a growing uh, guild. It's a growing industry, and it's it's really a testament to the incredible producers we have all over the state. Uh, so if people are listening to this and they're you know interested in supporting Pennsylvania's growing hard side? Is there a place that people can come be members or is like support the guild? Yeah, absolutely. You can find all that information on our website, PACiderGuild.org. And we do have uh, membership for enthusiasts. 
So it's, awesome. it's a, it's a, it's a very affordable yearly membership. You know, we'll be able to, you'll be kind of first in the know as, as uh, different events and different opportunities to interact with makers and producers all over the state come about, you know, you'll, you'll have the satisfaction of knowing that you're playing an important role in helping our, our organization grow and, and help bring more cider to more Pennsylvanians um, every day. So yeah, definitely encourage you. There's, there's a couple exciting things we'll be able to announce soon as, as far as uh, things on, on our website at pacideerguild.org. Uh, they're coming down the pike real soon. And uh, uh, they're really exciting. And, and, and we'll be updating that as soon as, as soon as things fall into place. That's awesome, man. It's really exciting. It's such a great place to live in Pennsylvania when it comes to just having access to quality apples. But the better apples make the better cider. And seeing this excellent product get into the hands of such talented cider makers and really seeing where each one goes. I always enjoyed pressing uh, apples this time of year for other producers that would come out to the farm to get some juice from us because you never knew where that same juice that we would have a little bit of us and then they'd have some of it and see how those two paths diverge and getting to enjoy both of them down the road. It's, it was always such a great treat. So uh, you're doing great work. The guild is tremendously talented and wildly understaffed in terms of like the need versus just what can actually be done, but it's just, it's great work. Um, what y'all are doing with that. And it's been uh, amazing to see it just continue to grow year after year. Uh, looking forward to another cider fest down the road. I'm sure one of those may or may not be coming, but we'll uh, we'll just wait for those updates. Um, I guess one last thing before we get out of here. Um, I, one of the best things that I think I enjoyed in the first six months of the pandemic was when you had the Barton Hall Grateful Dead live stream show. And <laughs> it was just so nice getting to spend an evening with music, with people, and just kind of like interact, even though we were all listening to a 40-year-old recording of a show that we've probably listened to at least more than 10 times, I'll say for myself. Uh, I don't want to out anybody, but it's a really great <laughs> show and one that gets a lot of rotation. Um, you seem to have a very good handle on music is important when it comes to bringing people together. So you have the cider part, you have the tap room, but like the part that seems to always be present with anything that Plum is attached to is great music, local music, and providing a showcase for this emerging industry, just along with cider in this region. I'm seeing a lot of new musicians that are really finding their voices, and I'm really excited to see where that goes. And so having someone with a venue that supports that creative process has been really refreshing and really enjoyable from just the music standpoint. So long-winded way of saying, why do you like music, Ben? <laughs> well, you know, I, I kind of came by that naturally when I was in, in middle school and high school. It was a real passion of mine. And um, as I kind of got older and saw that my kind of professional career was going to move in a more agricultural direction, you know, one of the things that, that kind of stayed with me was, you know, like, like music's still going to be a passion of mine. And, and you know, it's I, I just I've I, I guess the thing that really comes to mind is our kind of central Pennsylvania community really does have a cool scene. And we've always had a cool scene as far as the music scene goes. And it's, uh, you know, it's been one that has not been dominated by kind of cookie cutter cover bands and tribute bands and things like that. It's been, it's been kind of 
uh, you know, a steady, uh, like kind of tribe of people making original music and writing and doing interesting things and, and like making their own sound. And, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not alone in, 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 you know, going out of my way to support those, those artists in that scene, but it sure does give me a lot of satisfaction. And, um, you know, I, I've just, it, it's a direct result of, of my upbringing around great musicians and the support that I received as a young musician. And, you know, now being in a position to kind of, you know, give back to that same community that kind of raised me is, is really, really important. And it's just, it, it's, it's one of the more gratifying things of being able to, to work in the beverage industry is, is, is its tie to the music industry and how those two uh, things come together is just, it's so rewarding and so gratifying. And it's, it's, it's just wonderful to, to interact with both worlds. Well, from my perspective, I just appreciate someone that's doing it with a love for the artist and not for a love of what the artist does for the establishment. So I think it's really nice to see someone that is giving space to performances without expecting it to be, hey, we need you to return X number of seats or this many drinks. You know, you don't you look at it as it's part of the environment and you are supporting all of these parts. And it's just it's really uh, it's really great to see someone supporting the industry like that. So thank you for that. Of course. Yeah. It's just all about creating good experiences, uh, good experiences around cider and the music really helps with that. So if people want to check out these experiences, where can they find, you know, lists of upcoming events or how do they stay current on Plowman if they want to order some cider, uh, give the people the information so they can uh, reach out. Sure thing. So yeah, uh, great place to start plowmancider.com. Our website uh, has a link to our tap room. Um, you can get information about how to how to you know join us there in the square of Gettysburg. Information about our cider club, um, you know, purchasing bottles that ship to 40 states. All those things are good. Social media is the probably the most up to date places. So at Plowman Cider on Instagram, uh, Facebook.com/slash Plowman Cider, and uh, there's separate uh, uh, pages for uh, social for the the tap room if you're local to our central Pennsylvania region. So. Thank you so much, Ben. I really appreciate it. Our guest today, Ben Wank from Plowman Cider, Three Springs Fruit Farm. Check him out at a farmer's market or on the square in Gettysburg. Real quick, when I moved here, someone told me that it's called a squircle. And then everyone else told me it's not a squircle. <laughs> so <laughs> Gettysburg is a round square. Is that a squircle or is that not really a thing? Uh I, I, that's the first I've ever heard that. Too. All right. We, not a thing. Got it. Totally embarrassed a... myself. On that note, I want to thank my friend Ben Wank, who totally disregarded Squircle and threw me under the bus. I Go find his cider. His cider is better than his help in that moment. I promise you. You, did, you, you chose a poor ally, Mike. Yeah, it's a, I'm not very good at that. But, uh, you know, if you enjoyed today's show, you want to check out other interviews, uh, check out our YouTube channel. Um, we're also available on all podcasts, uh, wherever you get your shows, your programs, or whatever you want to call them. Go find us. Cheers, PA Beer Talk. Like, subscribe, follow, unfollow. Maybe do the thing a couple times. Help us with the numbers. But whatever, <laughs> just show us some support so we can keep doing this. Thanks again to our friends at Wise Markets for making this possible and our dear friend Ben Wank from Plum Insider. Until next time, cheers, PA.